Good morning. Uh, I bring greetings to you from uh, the Saints at Restoration Church in Northwest D.C. Uh, so thankful for your ministry here. We pray for you often. Uh, we pray for Chevrolet Baptist Church often. So thankful for the work that you do in this part of the city. Uh, you know, it's fun driving over here this morning. Uh, as I was driving over, uh, I was just thinking about all the different churches that I know that we're meeting right now at the same time as us. Faithful, gospel-loving churches just meeting. I was praying for them as I drove by them, just thinking about each one of them. And uh, isn't, isn't it fun to think about all the different churches just meeting throughout the city, not only here but around the country and around the world, that there are people just like us gathering together to proclaim the excellencies of Christ all over the place, praying for each other, partnering together in the gospel. I, I was meeting with some church planners a couple weeks ago, trying to convince them. It was such a strange conversation, trying to convince them to partner together with other churches for the sake of the gospel. And it's a joy to partner with you. And so I thank God for each of you. Thank God for the ways that you're holding out the gospel and in the good providences of God. How kind of the Lord to set up this time so that John and his wife and family could be home. So though we man plans his steps and the Lord man plans his ways and the Lord directs his steps, doesn't he? Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. It is only by the finished work of Christ that our prayers can be heard. And it is only because of the finished work of Christ that there is hope in heaven. Oh God, teach us, we pray this morning. I hope all the more in heaven that we might be faithful evangelists to the end. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. We'll get there in just a minute. Uh, we are just, I am just learning how to use Pew Bible, so you'll forgive me. I didn't check the page number. So ask, look at the table of contents. Just go ahead and look. It's okay. Look at that, but we'll be there. We'll get there soon. But three years ago, three years ago, right about this time, actually, Restoration Church was kind enough to grant me a sabbatical. And I, I, my family and I took two months away for the work from the work of the church in order to be focused on study, on prayer, um, and on rest. And in my time of study and prayer in particular, I focused on one thing. I focused on the New Testament's use of the hope of heaven. And uh, what I did was, is each day I would read a few chapters of the New Testament, and I would circle every single verse that I saw that was counseling the hope of heaven in order to motivate some aspect of obedience circle every verse that I saw was counseling the hope of heaven in order to motivate some aspect of obedience. And after I was done, I went back and I counted the verses, and not including the book of Revelation, because I didn't want to kind of skew the numbers, uh, not including the book of Revelation, I counted 387 verses, 387 verses that use the hope of heaven to counsel, to motivate, to compel God's people towards some aspect of obedience. And so with just under 7,500 verses in the New Testament, again, that not including Revelation, that makes up somewhere around the neighborhood of 5% of New Testament verses. That's a lot of verses. Let's say that I was too high. I mean, even if it was half that number, that would be a lot of verses. 5% of the verses of the New Testament are using the future hope that Christians have in heaven in order to compel obedience in the present. 
future glory motivating present obedience. And yet I wonder how much of our teaching, our preaching, our singing and praying reflects this emphasis in the church. In a recent journal done by Nine Marks, one brother uh, took the time to compare the most commonly sung hymns between the years 1737 and 1960, and he compared those to the songs sung between 2000 and 2015. So took those two eras of time and compared the songs to each other. And you know what he found? According to the author, the one striking difference between the singing in those two time periods, in the previous era, heaven was sung about frequently. And in the more recent era, 2000 to 2015, the author says that heaven had, quote, all but disappeared. You just go ahead and think about it. We can evaluate our own lives, right? We, how many books on heaven have you read in the past couple years? How many conversations have you had recently about heaven? How many times uh, have you counseled someone in a counseling session, appealing to heaven in some aspect? How many times have you prayed something regarding heaven? I trust that for some of you, that's been recent. It's been recent for some of you. But my suspicion is, for a lot of us, come on in, there's daddy. Yeah. My suspicion is that for some, that's like heaven, isn't it? She's coming home, right? The father. But my suspicion is that for many of us, while thinking about heaven may be frequent, for many of us, the thought of heaven is faint in some capacity. And so we have to ask ourselves, is our Christianity reflecting its great hope? Is it reflecting its great destiny in some way? Are we, as citizens of heaven, hoping in our home? Or are we building treasures up on earth where rust and moth destroy? Have we, in other words, become so earthly-minded that we don't think of heaven as home, but instead think of this more as home? And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to share with you a little fruit from that study I had three years ago. And in particular, I want to help us see what the hope of this world does in comparison to those that hope in the world to come. And I'm going to apply that specifically, uh, specifically to the work of evangelism and missions. And so here's what we're going to see. We're going to see two points this morning, that hope in this present world distracts and destroys the work of missions and evangelism. And then alternatively, we'll see that hope in the world to come fuels the work of missions and evangelism. Those will be our two points this morning. The call for us then, beloved, is going to learn to hope in heaven in order to be compelled in that needed work of missions and evangelism. And again, we're going to study that from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Later, I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians 15, but we'll spend our time there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me go ahead and read that. Verse 9. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Here he says at the end of the letter. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, I, I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, 
also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. First point this morning, again, hope in this present world distracts and destroys the work of missions and evangelism. Hope in this present world distracts and destroys missions, uh, the work of missions and evangelism. All right, so take a look there at verse 10. We read there in that line about Demas, and we read it with great perplexion and sadness, don't we? Because Demas is no stranger to missions. And so kids, you may not know this, but actually we read about Demas in a couple other places in the Bible. We see, for instance, in Colossians 4.14 and Philippians 1.24 that he was a traveling companion of Paul's. And some of you may know that Paul was a bit of a picky guy when it came to choosing traveling companions, wasn't he? Right? We, we have that instance of Paul and Barnabas disagreeing about Mark coming along with them on their missionary journey in Acts chapter 15. And that disagreement was so sharp that Paul and Barnabas split up in the work of missions. Which makes that account, by the way, there in verse 11 so sweet, doesn't it? As Paul now says of Mark, he's useful to me. He's useful to me. But nevertheless, that should tell us something about Demas, shouldn't it? He was probably no slouch on the mission field. He was probably useful at some point in the work of missions and evangelism. Maybe he was like that guy in the church. Maybe this church here that liked to go on short-term mission trips. Or maybe he's thinking about going overseas somewhere, him or herself. And yet, what do we learn there about Demas in verse 10? Paul says there that he just has Luke with him alone because Demas has left him. And we ask why. Again, look at it. It says there, because of a love for this, note the emphasis, for this, a love for this present world. A love for this present world. Demas got distracted by the love of this present world. A love for the comforts comforts of the here and now got him off the mission of making disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ. His affection for today jeopardized his hope for tomorrow. Demas' hope for this world derailed him for the hope of a better world to come. And we wonder why, don't we? Why was it about Demas that made him to leave the mission and go back the Thessalonica out of love for this present world. We wonder why. Well, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us exactly. It doesn't give us specificity. Maybe, maybe, maybe ty- uh, Demas was tired of traveling, moving about every couple months or every couple years. Maybe he wanted to go and establish a home there in Thessalonica, get a house and a picket fence and the like, get a wife, some kids, maybe have a nice backyard, a Costco membership, maybe you know something like a, a chariot, four-door chariot of sort to ride his family around. We don't know. Maybe he was tired of the constant threats on his life. We we see that Paul, look down there in verse 17, was rescued from the lion's mouth. 
Whether or not that's metaphorical, we can't be sure. But either way, whatever it was, it was bad. And Demas was used to bad. Demas was used to bad. He had to be, right? Paul's life was in a constant threat of being taken all the time. You didn't have to convince Demas that the gospel was a rock of offense. He knew it. He lived it. Maybe he was tired of it. And so maybe he wanted to go get back to a place that wouldn't ask so much of him. Maybe he wanted some immediate comforts because he got tired of deferring them to heaven. But whatever it was, Jesus and his kingdom became much less attractive than Demas and his own kingdom. And that got him off of the mission for Christ. And it's a struggle for us too, isn't it? Doesn't this explain most of our, at least partly explain some of our most feeble efforts to herald Christ to a lost and dying world? Or maybe just live in obedience at all? Because we love this present world in some ways, don't we? I know that's true for me too often. The same world that Paul, by the way, calls in Ephesians this present darkness. How many of us have followed or are tempted to follow Demas back to Thessalonica? Rationalizing maybe our lack of mission today by remembering some time of usefulness in the past. Do we not remember the words of the Apostle John that told us that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him? And if all of us were being honest, most of us would agree. Would agree. We, we kind of like this world, right? Like, I, don't like the, I love my wife. I don't like the thought of not being married to her. I know it'll be better in heaven, whatever it is, but I don't like that thought. I like being with her now. Right? I like good books. I like history. I like, uh, I like watching college football. I, I like drinking sweet tea and watching the sun go down. I don't want to lose out on these things. I like hanging out with my friends. None of these things, of course, in and of themselves are wrong, but until they start competing for my deepest affections, that's when they become problematic. Brothers and sisters, Demas' life teaches us that we have got to keep a vigilant eye on our hearts. We have to be careful to notice when our hearts long to drink in the delight of some vacation, some material possession, some experience, more than they long for that forever vacation in the New Jerusalem. It could be that those competing affections are diminishing your courage or faithful gospel proclamation. And so, beloved, don't abandon the mission. Don't leave Paul and Luke alone in the chains. Don't leave your brothers and sisters alone in the work of calling people to Christ. Don't leave the difficult pathway of peace in order to take up the easy highway to hell. Be reminded, beloved, that there is a better home than this present world. Some of you are wanting that today badly. Believe in God and believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, Christian, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. That's what Jesus said, right? Isn't that where you want to be? Isn't that where you want to be? Don't you want to see Jesus? Don't you want to see him and know him and enjoy him and embrace him? Just as you saw the son embrace his father here. And for you, friend, that are not following Christ, especially for you younger folks that are here this morning, maybe you're thinking about following Jesus. 
Maybe some of you are under the impression that there is something in this present world that will deliver you to unending satisfaction. If that's you, do you know anyone that has found such a treasure? Do you know anyone that has so found something in this present world that has actually completed their souls? And not just for an hour, not for even for a week, but for years upon years. Have you found anyone like that? Well, friends, you should know that a job, a relationship, a bank account, these things will never compete, complete you. They never will. God made you for himself, and until you are conformed to him, you will never know the true love that you were made to enjoy. Friend, do not follow Demas. Do not follow him back to Thessalonica. Do not love this present world. Follow Jesus and come home. Come home. In other words, friend, repent of your sins and believe in Christ's finished work on the cross for your sin. His resurrection, his ascension, his soon return to carry you home. Trust that to be your unending satisfaction. Only he, Jesus, can give you a faith, a love, and a hope, and a home that can never die because Christ is the only one that has defeated sin and death. He's the only one that can offer you forever Forever satisfaction, that is. And so turn away from the lies of this world and follow the truth of him who is the king of a better world. Friend, don't follow Demas into the love of this present world. Such a love will never satisfy you. Give your life to Christ. And likewise, again, Christian, don't follow Demas. Don't follow Demas. The love of this present world is a lie. It makes promises to you that it can never keep. It cannot give you life, but it will only give you death in the end. Do not make shipwreck of your faith for having a love for this present world. Beloved, there is a love, there is a hope that is stronger than anything this world tries to offer you because the hope of heaven is indestructible. Do not follow Demas, but follow Jesus. And by following Demas or even flirting with the love of Demas, by loving this present world, your life will be distracted and destructive in the mission of God. Or to say it the opposite way, second point this morning, the hope of heaven fuels the work of missions and evangelism. The hope of heaven fuels the work of missions and evangelism. Look down there at verse 14. You'll notice there that there's some other guy named Alexander who apparently had a love for this present world as well as he did great harm to Paul. Maybe that contributed in part to Demas' desire to leave. If you slide there in verse 16, we see there Paul shares the story of a particular defense that led to no one standing by him. You should know, friends, if you don't already, living on mission for God sometimes is a lonely place to be. That's why we need confidence and courage for perseverance in the mission. That's why we need strength. And look at verse 17. That's exactly what God gave Paul in that lonely place. Verse 17, the Lord, he says, stood by me and strengthened me. Isn't that what Jesus promised in the Great Commission? I'll be with you to the end. I'll be with you. And here it is. We're seeing it happen in Paul's life. And we ask why. Why does the Lord need to be with us? Why does the Lord need to strengthen us? Why does Jesus promise to be with us? Why is the Lord with Paul in strengthening him? Look at verse 17, so important. Some of my favorite two words in the Bible is so that because it explains what came before. 
Why is the Lord with him? So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. (laughs) There's the mission right there. I said that Demas deviated from the mission because of a a love for this present world. And here we see Paul on mission amidst his trials. And what is that mission? Well, that mission is, is to proclaim that message of the gospel. That message that he is proclaiming is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, lives a sinless life, dies a sinner's death, so to all those that repent and believe upon him, he will pay for their sins, and our sin is transferred to him on the cross, and his righteousness is transferred to us that believe, and so we are declared righteous, we are declared just, though we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. He's buried, on the, he's buried and on the third day rises from the grave, the first fruits of heaven, as it were, defeating sin and death. And he, Paul is going out to proclaim this message that everyone would know, turn from sin, trust in Jesus, follow him. You can be justified. You can have heaven. You can have hope. That's the message. Life with Christ in heaven. And that's exactly what Paul talks about next. Look at verse 18. Heaven. The Lord, he says, will rescue me from every evil deed. So like Alexander the coppersmith and others. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Sounds like Pilgrim's Progress, doesn't it? To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's the heavenly vision, motivating mission. You see it? He's going to bring me in. He's going to take care of all the bad guys and all the guys that aren't doing it right, as it were. And I'm going to get home. So I'm going to keep going. Heavenly vision, motivating mission. And so what's the difference, we ask? Kids, you should ask yourself that question today. What's the difference between Demas and Paul? Why is Paul able to endure such suffering while Demas doesn't? Well, first and most important, Paul was strengthened by the Lord. Remember that? Paul is strengthened by the Lord. The Lord will hold Paul fast to the end. He is the one that is strengthening him ultimately. But that describes what the Lord's doing. What's Paul doing? Where is Paul looking to overcome his love for the present world and endure such suffering so that he might proclaim the gospel? What is he thinking about to give him courage to keep going and herald the gospel? Again, verse 18, he believed the Lord would rescue him from every evil deed Right, The Lord's bringing justice and bring him safely into the kingdom of heaven. Paul was able to be tenacious for gospel ministry because of his future hope. The hope of Christ answering every evil deed in his return where he will finally throw God's enemies into the lake of fire, where God will throw his enemies into the lake of fire when justice is served and also where Paul will be safely brought to the shores of the Jordan River. He will be home where he will finally be with Christ and see him and savor him forever. It is only natural that at such a thought that you break into praise, which is exactly what Paul does, right? To him be glory forever and ever, amen. Hmm. It's a fascinating study, isn't it? Paul is convinced back in, look back in verse six. Paul's convinced back in verse six he's gonna die for the gospel. And yet he also believes here he's going to be rescued and brought safely home to heaven. And Christian, you should know this. This is our hope. This is our hope. 
This is the promise of, this promise of heaven is not just unique to Paul. It's secured for all of us that hope in Christ. Though we perish, yet we shall what? Live. Paul had a greater love for heaven than he did for this present world. And that hope drove him to be courageous for the sake of fully proclaiming the gospel. And this is the difference between Paul and Demas. Demas wanted to be safe now. Paul wanted to be safe later. Demas wanted to make this heaven. Paul wanted to be with Christ in heaven. He trusted, Paul did, that a better day was coming. And that was the body armor. That was the body armor that gave him confidence to step into the arena of the world and proclaim the gospel boldly. And likewise, that hope was the thing that kept his eye on so that he would not depart from the mission and not love this present world. Focused on that heavenly vision. Let me show you one other example of this. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 15. Go to the left, if you're not new, or if you are new to the Bible. Kids, I learned something a few years ago I didn't know. It's been helpful to me. The New Testament is organized with Paul's letters. They start with the longest one, and they go to the shortest one. 1 Corinthians is long, so it'll be towards the front, so it's after Romans. 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to see the same thing here. All I'm doing is just showing you one other place. I could show you, again, 370, what, seven other ones. But I'm going to show you one more. In 1 Corinthians 15, many of you are familiar with this verse, right? Paul is, is talking about the resurrection, how our, our bodies will be resurrected, right? Our spirit and our bodies will be united. That's why Christians have such this unique view of spirit and body coming together. He, he's meditating, Paul is meditating on that in 1 Corinthians 15, resurrection life, body, spirit coming together at the return of Christ. And then listen how he comes out of that meditation in verse 58. Therefore, so anytime you see the word therefore, you should be knowing what they said just before, right? Therefore, so in light of our future resurrection, in light of the coming of heaven, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, 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 knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's his conclusion to 1 Corinthians 15, meditating on the resurrection. You see that? Just like he did in 2 Timothy and uh, in the 377 other places in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, the hope of what is to come the hope of heaven gives him supreme confidence to hold the line. Not just hold the line, but hoping in heaven, it, he, it seems right here in verse 58, hoping in heaven fuels the abundance of work. Knowing it does, it's not in vain. It keeps him on the mission of God to proclaim the gospel. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, what do we have to lose? <laughs> what do we have to lose? What are they going to do, kill us? To die is gain. Right? Though I perish, yet I shall live. And I'm going to get to see him of whom my soul loves face to face. Maybe they won't kill us. Maybe they'll mock us, make fun of us. Kids, if you haven't experienced this in school, you will. Those that follow Jesus, the people make fun of you for things that we believe and the like. Maybe they'll make fun of us. Maybe they'll ridicule us. Maybe they'll fire us from our jobs. Your labor is not in vain. 
Your labor is not in vain. Wasn't it Jesus who said, blessed are you who persecuted are persecuted for my name's sake, for yours is what? The kingdom of heaven. Guys, do you see what the hope of heaven does for us that are in Christ? Since death has been defeated in the resurrection, since we have a better city, a heavenly city that is promised to us, then what do we have to lose? We can step onto the battlefields of the world and love our neighbor without being held back by our greatest fears. We can advance towards our neighbor knowing that no matter what may come, we are one step closer to home where we will enter our heavenly rest. And so with this kind of confidence, we can love so generously, we can love so compassionately, so radically, so courageously that those who receive that love will know. They will know that our citizenship is somewhere else. They will smell our clothes and see a glimmer in our eyes and say, where have you been? And with hearts full of the love of God, we can say with a smile, I've seen heaven. I've seen love. I've seen just a flicker of what the world will one day be like. We will say, I saw love on a bloody cross and I saw heaven in an empty tomb. Where death no longer reigns where every tear is wiped away and there will be no darkness but only joy. A day is coming when I will see the King of kings and Lord of lords. I've seen something already. Won't you come in? And some may respond by saying, how can I have that kind of a hope? How can I see that love? How can I see that Jesus? And then we will open again our our mouths and boldly declare the way of salvation. So, beloved, let's dig in, right? Let's, let's, let's preach, let's pray, let's read, let's sing heaven so that our hearts will long to get home and see the king and the kingdom, the consummated kingdom, and enjoy him forever and not get off track by loving this present world. The more that we sing heaven, the more that we study heaven, the more that we sing heaven, the more that we pray heaven, counsel heaven, the more we do that, the more our spines will be filled with steel and our faces will be like flint. Don't believe that garbage that you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Friends, if that's true, then Paul didn't do much and I'm doing a bunch. That ain't true. It is those, it is, as it has been said, it is those that are most heavenly minded that do the most earthly good. And this was the refrain of the early church. And beloved, somewhere along the way we lost it. Somewhere along the way, we've become more like Demas than like Paul than we'd like to admit. We are far too prone to love this present world than the one to come. And in the process, we've lost some of our confidence and courage for missions and evangelism. But you should know, this was not the way it was from the beginning. This was not the way it was from the beginning. Let's take, for example, we read about Abraham in Hebrews 11. He was able to hold a knife over his only son because he believed he would raise. It was by faith we learned that Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God than to follow Demas back to Thessalonica, as it were, and enjoy the fleeting pleasures of this world. He, Moses, considered the reproach of who? Christ, of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And we ask why? Because he was looking what? To his reward. 
What gave Stephen the courage to stand and take stone after stone to his death? Was it not his gaze into heaven? Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, he said. Then again, Paul, so many places, but also uh, as he writes to the church in Philippi, he tells them that the enemies of the cross have an end of destruction because their minds, he says, are set on earthly things. But, then he transitions, but our citizenship, the church's citizenship, is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Don't you want that? We think of Paul also in Colossians 3 and motivating them to live a holy life before others. What does he say? Colossians 3, set your minds on things above. We can think of Peter's words to our brothers and sisters who suffered under persecution. When he said, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, again, where our home is heaven, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That is when heaven comes. Why would God even give us the book of Revelation but to give us a hope in the face of the fray of difficulty as we hold out the hope of heaven to the world? And of course, how could we forget Christ? What was his motivation to even secure salvation for anyone that believes? What was his motive in seeking the salvation of the lost? What made him to endure the tribulation of Gethsemane? Hebrews makes it so clear, doesn't it? For the joy set where? Before him, he endured the cross. What joy was that but the restoration of all things to the glory of God the Father? Brothers and sisters, the Bible is replete with calls to hope in heaven so that you can faithfully engage in the mission of God today. Too often we don't take the time to see them, I fear, because So many of us are tempted to follow Demas to Thessalonica and leave Paul and Luke alone in the mission. Remember, we're sojourners. We're exiles. Beloved, do not build up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy, where thieves break in and steal. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, you all know the rest of it, there your heart will be also. The more that you and I do that, I believe, the more courage you and I will have to lean into the mission of God to fully proclaim the gospel to all nations. And we do that, remember, again, we build our hope in heaven by singing heaven. We're gonna do that in just a minute. We're gonna also anticipate heaven in the Lord's Supper. We're gonna do that in a minute until he comes, right? Don't forget to look forward in the Lord's Supper. We do that by praying heaven. Lord, heaven, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We do that by teaching heaven, reading good books about heaven, teaching about heaven's realities, but also this is something I'm emphasizing in my church. Don't just read about these things. Meditate on these things. It's not enough just to read. The devil knows the Bible better than we ever will. Gladly meditate on heaven's realities. Consider that great sight of heaven, the beatific vision. Christ our Lord, our Redeemer. 
our treasure, our great reward. As our citizenship digs deeper into that identity, we will not waver. We will hope to see and savor and treasure Christ. And as we give ourselves to that work, we will say with Paul, the Lord will rescue me, will rescue us, Chevrolet Baptist Church, from every evil deed and bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. And so church, Christ is coming. He is bringing with him justice that will roll. He is also bringing with him a world restored where the air will be sweeter than honey and the sky will never know a shade of gray and every tear will be wiped away and death will be dead. And we will finally see him of whom our soul loves. That day is coming. It's as real as that person sitting next to you. Trust Christ that he will do it. Ask God to have you long for it, pray for it. And then, beloved, as Paul says, be steadfast, be immovable, abound in the work, fully proclaiming the gospel to the nations, knowing your labor is not in vain. The love or hope of this world distracts and destroys missions. The love or the hope of heaven fuels it. May we give ourselves to that work. Let's pray that we would. Lord Jesus, we confess, I confess, we confess, Lord, that we are much like Demas. We do have so much of a love for this world in our own hearts. God, forgive us. Forgive us. And implant in us a sight of, of the glory of Christ and his consummated heavens and the earth and the new Jerusalem. Give us a sight of it, a fervency for it, that we might do many things, but one in particular, that we might gladly and boldly proclaim the gospel until you return. Thank you for the hope of heaven. May it come soon. And thank you, Jesus, for securing it all by your blood. We ask it in your name. Amen.